We are continuing in our series of uh, through 1 Peter. We are at uh, 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 15 today, uh, looking at how our identity in Christ changes who we are and how we relate to the world around us. Uh, and there are four things, four aspects of our lives that I want to focus on through this passage today. First, our words. Second, our attitudes. Thirdly, our deeds. And finally, our relationships. And all of these should be impacted by our relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, first, uh, we find in verse 10, uh, this is the beginning of the quote from Psalm 34, whoever would love life and see good days, wouldn't we all, right? Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. Do you remember? Be careful, little mouth, what you say. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little mouth, what you say. I remember learning that as a kid. And of course, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. And I didn't hear that last part the right way. The Father up above is looking down in love. I heard the Father up above is looking at you and you better behave yourself. But if we look at that the way the song actually says, the children's song actually says, we're, we're seeing that God loves us, God has claimed us, so therefore we should live according to what God has done for us and therefore keep our tongues from evil and our lips from deceitful speech. Now, as I was preparing the sermon uh, for today, uh, many uh, references put me back to the book of Proverbs, and the book of Proverbs is filled with references to our speech, to our mouths, to our lips, to our tongues, and how we speak. And it demonstrates that this is very important to God, how we present ourselves through our speech. For one example, Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and of death. In verse 9, we read of um, 1 Peter 3, do not repay insult with insult. Now, Kyle Eidelman, I found this amazing resource, and I hate to tell you this because you're going to be able to watch it and see how much I got from it, which is okay because I really owe Kyle Eidelman a debt of gratitude for his resource, which I found on Right Now Media. Plug for Right Now Media. Uh, make sure to be using that. So many good uh, resources on there. But he has a series on First Peter. And his, his uh, lesson on this passage, I think, is the best one uh, that I've looked at so far. And he says, when we say do not repay e insult with insult, how about we just change the words a little bit to say do not repay one Facebook post with another Facebook post, one sarcastic comment with another sarcastic comment, one passive-aggressive behavior with another passive-aggressive behavior, one silent treatment with another silent treatment. That brings it really close to home, doesn't it? In verse 9, we also read, do not repay evil with evil, but repay, repay evil with blessing. Bless 
and do not curse, says Paul in Romans 12. We are in this way demonstrating that we are different from the world around us. Uh, Chuck Colson said, we should have all of our communication with other people as if we are in the presence of God, and indeed we are. Our words matter. Our words matter to how we relate to the world and how the world sees us as ambassadors of God's kingdom. And the words come out of our hearts. Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, of course, secondly, we need to look at our attitudes. Verse 8, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. This parallels, in a sense, the passage we used earlier in the service from Philippians chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, Paul says, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Paul says, if, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, sharing in the spirit, in other words, if you truly have a relationship with God, it will change you. It will change your heart. It will change your attitudes so that you will be able to do the rest of what he says, not doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, having a heart of humility that considers others above yourself. This does not mean you, you think of yourself as a nothing, but you, you value the opinions of others. You seek to understand them. God calls us, beyond belief to conviction. This is another one of Eidelman's main points, is that we, we often um, equate our Christianity with a belief system. Well, yes, I believe this, I believe that, I believe Jesus lived, I believe Jesus died, I believe Jesus rose, I believe Jesus uh, is sitting at God's right hand. I believe all those things. But a real Christian commitment is, not, is much more than that. It's not just intellectual assent. It is conviction. And the difference between um, belief and conviction, as Howard Hendricks put it, is a belief is something you'll argue about. A conviction is something you'll die for. And I would add, a conviction is something you'll live for, you'll live through. You will live out your convictions. And God calls us beyond just intellectual assent to living it out. So we move then from our words, our attitudes, then, to our deeds. In a study of the word compassion in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Eidelman, Kyle Eidelman found that whenever the word compassion is used about Jesus, when it says Jesus had compassion on them, the word and follows. Because when Jesus has compassion on someone, he does something about it. 
in Mark, Mark 6, Jesus had compassion on the crowd and fed them. Matthew 9, Jesus had compassion when he saw the lost people and challenged the disciples to reach out to them, and then he prayed for them. In Matthew 20, Jesus had compassion on two blind men who were asking for their sight, and Jesus gave it to them. In Mark 1, Jesus had compassion on a leper and healed him. Compassion, as Jesus demonstrated it and calls us to follow him, is not just a feeling of, oh, that's too bad. Compassion is doing something once we have that feeling. The opposite of compassion, Eidelman points out, is indifference. I'm reminded of that last Seinfeld episode, you know, where they were all uh, arrested for not caring enough, for not reaching out, for not helping somebody. Now, uh, that Samaritan law, which is what uh, the, the episode was based on, would say that we are called, we, we have to reach out to people and help them. Now, that um, in the late 90s was a message that Seinfeld had. I'm not sh as sure that it's as strong a message today that we should reach out and, and help people. But for the, for the believer, for the one who follows Jesus Christ, the one who knows Jesus Christ, it is still just as important as if it were the law of the land. We are called to have compassion, not just feeling, but action. The opposite of compassion is indifference. So think. Think about that person down the street who has a need, and you, you've noticed the need, but you figure, well, it's not my relative, it's not someone I really know all that well, so I don't need to meet that need. Even sometimes when God places that person on your heart that, you, that he calls you to reach out to them. There are so many examples, so many. Now, we can, we can develop compassion overload and try to fix everything, and that's probably not a realistic way to live, but our, our attitudes of caring about people should overflow into helping them. And we find in verse 8 and 9, um, we are not to repay evil for evil. This is another part of our deeds is uh, we do good, but we also don't do bad. Um, and rather than pay, repay evil for evil, we pay evil with blessing. That is a very strange concept for many in the world today. But what it says here in this passage, in verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. The blessing goes both ways. The blessing precedes the blessing others and then the blessing others leads to more blessing for us. Of course, the blessing precedes the blessing of others because we know how much we have been blessed in Jesus Christ to be called his brothers and sisters, God's sons and daughters. But then when we live this way, we are blessed. 
And we remember the verse 10, whoever would love life and see good days, live like this. Bless people. Do not curse people. Verse 11, turn from evil and do good. And that's very important again. Uh, we, we, some of us believe that being a Christian is, is having a certain set of beliefs and, and we, we check all the boxes that we have those right beliefs, but then the, the doing, the caring, the living it out is lacking. And that is not what we are called to be as Christians. And the other way some people think of being a Christian is you don't do this and you don't do that and you don't do this and you, you make sure you don't do all those bad things. But what being a Christian is uh, here, verse 11, turn from evil and do good. So we are called to do acts of service. We are called to demonstrate the compassion that God has given us through action. And when we do that, we will demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ. And when people see our compassion lived out, then they will be able to start caring about our convictions, our beliefs, the root, the cause of our, of our deeds. And when they, when they understand that our goodness, our good deeds come out of a knowledge and experience of God's love, then they might be turned to want to know God's love as well. And finally, relationships. It's so important to realize the priority God places on relationships. Jesus, in his prayer before he was... Um, crucified, prayed for unity, prayed that his people, his daughters and sons would be unified so that the world would see the unity between us believers and him and therefore the unity between him and God. This unity is something, is, is a huge part of what Jesus came to suffer and die to accomplish. Romans 12, 18 says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. In verse 11 here, it says, seek peace and pursue it. One translation says, work hard at it. I used to, in my wedding sermon, uh, speak about waging peace. Now, we often think of waging war, and, and that takes a lot of effort, a lot of cost. And I think it's important for us to consider peace as just as much work, if not more, than war. It takes effort. Wage peace. In other words, work at peace, peaceful relationships. Now, the problem that we often have when we talk about this is that the one who is, the one who is going to be the one who encourages peace is usually one who just says, okay, you, you have your way. You do it your way. I don't need to have my way. And some people read the Philippians passage as 
as saying that, and I, I think it does say that to a degree, but it's really in relationship so that we consider other people, other people's opinions as valuable, sometimes more valuable than our own, but this waging peace, this working at peace is not laying down all your opinions, laying down what you believe is right, but negotiating, being careful to understand the other person's point of view and being careful that they understand your point of view. This is the work of peace, and this is the work that the church is called to do. And it means putting God's truth and God's priorities above our own, above our own sense of what we want, our own sense of what we deserve, and to work together for the good of the body of Christ, the good of the world, aligning every aspect of our lives with who we are in Jesus Christ.